0: hey guys we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in check back weekly to stay up to date with what god is doing here in the life of our church to learn more information you can find us online at sturkey.church our prayer here at the church at sturkey hills is that you are moved by this message guys thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week I want to invite you to turn in your bibles to john chapter 6 as we continue to continue to trek through this amazing gospel according to john it's a first-hand account from jesus's best friend john uh, the apostle who got to live a full life the apostle who got to write three epistles first second third john the gospel according to john and also the book of the revelation all future events and so he's an incredible character the author but John is quick to point out that the greatness of 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 him is found in the one that he worshipped, and that is Jesus. And so he he treks the life of Jesus really well and really personal. And so we finished last week in John chapter six, the first uh, half of the chapter, and in that in that we found one of two miracles that Jesus performed that are. Uh, Given in all four Gospels, you have the resurrection of Jesus and you have the feeding of 5,000 men, which represent the families. So up to 15 or 20,000 people have been fed with uh, five biscuits and two sardines. And so it's an amazing story. And yet in this same chapter, the the pendulum swings a little bit and it moves from a picnic to a storm. And uh, sometimes that's the way life is. Well, one day it seems like, man, everything is going great. And then you wake up the next morning or even halfway through the day, you either receive a phone call, you have a situation or an encounter with somebody, and it seems like you move from a picnic to a storm. And it's common and normal for all of us. And so just to kind of get ourselves back into the story, Jesus has has a a huge following, the largest following that he will have um, on this side of heaven. And all of these people show up, not because they want him to be the Lord of their life, because they just want to see what kind of cool thing Jesus will do next. Because Jesus is doing some really cool things. Jesus is performing amazing miracles. And so people are are intrigued by that, and they follow that. Because people want to follow signs and wonders. And often, they're really not looking for a savior. They're just looking for a trickster. And so they're watching Jesus, and they show up. And so Jesus says, hey, guys. You know, it, they're hungry, we're going to have to feed, let's feed them, so gather up what you got. A little boy gives his lunch, Jesus holds it up and blesses it, and at the hands of his disciples, he feeds all of these people. Now, the, the, the beauty of this story is, is, at the end of it, you know they're walking away, they had 12 baskets left over, and they're walking away, and I don't know what the conversation looked like, I, I know what it would look like today, if, 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 if I was part of the, the, the 12, and with Jesus, and we just fed all those people, you know, you're walking away, man, that was, that was cool, man, that was just, that was awesome. I've never seen anything like that. And you know, Jesus, is like, hey, fellas, good game today. You know, little pat on the rear end. You know, good game, fellas. Okay, y'all killed it. You got all that food passed out there. You know, broke them down into groups of fifty and hundred, fed them all. It was a good day. Got the leftovers. It was a good day. They're like, yeah. You know, they're, they're fist bumping each other. Get excited, man. And so, to get in the story, I want you to remember something in your life that maybe was a, a day. At the end of the day, at the end of the event, you were like, man, that was just one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Maybe it was the moment when you're standing at the altar with your future spouse and you're getting married. That's a cool day, okay? Maybe it's a trip to Disney World if you're a child. The parents ain't that crazy about it. They're paying for it, okay? Uh, maybe it was uh, uh, when you had your, chi- your first child, second child, third child, fourth child, whichever child. They're all amazing. That moment when you hold the baby for the first time. Remember that moment. Do you have a moment like that? The moment when you walk away and you say, now that was, that was a good day. That was, that was some serious cool right there. You got those moments? Now imagine you're walking away from that scenario where everything is good and everything just in a flash in, a, in about just a few hours. It moves from a picnic, the greatest picnic ever, to a storm. One of the worst storms you'll ever experience in your life. Now, when we think about that, we don't like them. Let's just hang out in the picnic. So lesson number one before we get to the storm is this. Enjoy the picnic, man. If your life right now is kind of like a picnic, just savor it. Don't let it get, get away. If your child is, is, if you have a baby and they're two years old, okay, don't focus when they're throwing poop at you. Okay, focus on the other side of their life that rocks your world, the cool side of just enjoy the picnic, celebrate the picnic, because listen, the picnic doesn't last forever, and I just want to be honest with you, it's not always a picnic, and the real news today on this Sunday is you may not be in the picnic today, you may be in the storm, and if you're not in a storm, maybe you just came out of a storm. And maybe if it's been a long time since you had a storm, there's one in the chamber with your name on it, so you need to get ready for the storm, all right? Now, God is really good about giving us everything, all of the instruction we need to do life well for Him, okay? And in this, in this chapter, in this story, we can learn a lot about how we can navigate through a storm. So, so let me let me paint a funny picture of what it looks like to go from a picnic to a storm. Uh, several years ago, when I was doing student ministry, we had our students at a, a a mission trip. I think we were in Indiana, possibly, and maybe in Boston. And and I had a kid in my group. His name is Kenton, and he's 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 built like a squirrel. You know, just you know, just grizzly. You know what I mean? That's what he, you know, this squirrel boy. He, he played football. He can wrestle. He played football. He's so tough. I'm not making this up. He's so tough that the, 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 the end guard got hurt, and he put him, the coach put him on the end. He was pushing against a guy. He probably weighed 155 pounds. He's pushing against a guy, 225, broke his femur, broke the femur, okay? I went to the hospital. He's just that kind of kid. So we're on mission trip, and guys, I know you're glad I'm not your youth pastor here. Uh, we would let him wrestle. And, and he was really good at wrestling. I mean, he'd just run right, right up you like a squirrel, have you in a headlock so fast, you're, you're tapping out. And he's beating people, you know, and he's in the picnic. He's having a picnic because he can, he can take anybody, get anybody to tap out. And there's a kid there. I'm not going to mention his name. He's just kind of a chunky guy. He's more like me. He, he, he not, he's more like not the squirrel. You know, he's more like the pot belly pig. And so, so he, 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 he's watching the whole picnic the whole time. He raises his hand, and he said, uh, Pastor Joel, I said, yeah, bro. He said, can I wrestle? And I said, well, I don't know, can you? He said, well, i like to. I said, well, sure. I said, who do you want to wrestle? He said, him, pointed at Kenton. I was like, you sure? And he said, oh, yeah. So Kenton's like, he's, just, he's having a picnic. He's just out there. Yeah, come on, come on. So he's messing around. Zip, zam, zoom, this other guy has got him in like a suplex, Kenton's about to pass out, and he's tapping out. He went from a picnic to a storm, like in a fraction of a second. So the story's over. He, get, he gets up, and he goes, and, and Kenton's like, I don't know what happened, man. I had him. I was, I was getting ready to put him down. Next thing you know, he's got me. And Tyler, his brother, said this. It's so funny. Tyler said, I don't know what happened, Joel. I said, what, what, what do you mean? he goes, he said, uh, Kenton can beat anybody wrestling. And he said, and he showed up. And got him and got him tapped out. And he said, and just a few minutes ago, he was playing the piano like you couldn't do, like you couldn't do both. I was like, what is that? You know, they're not connected, you know. And, and so, so I'm st- I was a little perplexed myself. And his brother came up. And he goes, yeah, he said he's been ta- taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu since he was like five. <laughs> yeah, booyah from a picnic to the storm, all right. He was so embarrassed, humiliated, hurt, you know. That sometimes that's what it looks like. So celebrate the picnic, because it's not always a picnic. Amen? Now, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's John 16, There's going to be tribulation. You're going to have tough times. And maybe you're in a tough time, and it helps to know how to navigate through these tough times. They may be financial, they may be relational, they may be marital, they may be physical, they may be spiritual, they may be vocational, they may be parental. All of these storms come and they have all kinds of flavors. Now we're going to learn something about the storms, where they come from, who controls them, and how we walk through them. And I want you to take notes today because it will be helpful because it's not always a picnic. Tell your neighbor, it's not always a picnic. Point number one on the back of your worship guide is this. Jesus chooses to allow the storms. Jesus chooses to allow the storms. That sounds a little calloused on the surface, doesn't it? That the hard times that you have in this life are permitted by Jesus. Well, the Bible says God is love. Jesus obviously loves us because he died on a cross for us, and yet he chooses to allow the storms. The hardest day in your life, I want you to know, was no surprise for Jesus, okay? Now, here's what happens in the story in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. It says, now, when evening had came, his disciples went down to the lake, and they got into a boat and started to cross the lake to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Verse. I'm going to reach down into verse 18. By now, a strong wind was blowing, and the sea was getting rough. So backing up a little bit, here's the story. Jesus says, hey, fellas, listen, uh, great great job today feeding all those people. Uh, and so I, I'm going to dismiss the crowd, and I want you to go down and get in a boat and go ahead and cross the Sea of Galilee, and I'm going to meet you on the other side. Cool? We good? We got our instructions? Yes. So they go down and they get in a boat. Now I want you to understand, when we read Uh, This particular story, the second half of chapter 6, it's found in three of the Gospels. So we can reach back into the other Gospels and fill in a few blanks of, of what this looked like a little more fully. In Matthew chapter 14, this is how it's worded. Same story. This is, and immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dispersed the crowd. So Jesus made them. He said, guys, get in the boat. I'll join you on the other side, but you... Get in the boat. And so his disciples, man, they're doing, they're doing everything Jesus says to do. Since Jesus has called them out to be followers and said, hey, won't you drop your nets, uh, sacrifice your business, and come follow me? Why don't you stop being a tax collector? Just put that down and come be a disciple of mine. Hey, hey why don't you stop being a physician, a reputable uh, occupation? Why don't you stop that and come follow me? They're following Jesus. And now at the hands of the disciples, he has fed all these people. And then he says, hey, guys, now here's what I want you to do. Your next instruction, go get in a boat. Go across the sea and I'll meet you on the other side. Now, let's talk about this Sea of Galilee because it's incredible. Uh, some of you may have been to the Holy Land. I haven't been to the Holy Land. I, I thought I was going twice and, and it just didn't happen, and so I haven't been. I pray that the Lord lets me go to the Holy Land before He takes me home or comes to get me, but if He doesn't, I'm going to see it when I go home with Him and then He comes back to rule and reign for a thousand years and I'm going to hang out over there, so it's cool, but I'd like to see it on this side. Uh, and, and, and of all of the things you can see, in the holy land experience the sea of galilee is one of the most significant most popular things you can see now in part well in large because jesus hung out there it's where jesus walked and performed a lot of miracles around this sea but here's what's cool about that sea that sea is not enormous but it is a large lake it's about eight miles by 13 miles in dimensions its average depth is about 84 feet deep It's fed by the Jordan River and natural springs. It is the second lowest body of water on the whole planet. And it's 705 feet below sea level. So it's like in a bowl in a hole. It's almost like a quarry. And it's surrounded by this uh, beautiful mountainous uh, scenery. All right, so you get the picture. This is where Jesus hung out and did all the cool stuff, or a lot of it. And he tells his boys, he said, get in a boat, go to the other side. No big deal. But there's something about this sea because it's located down in a hole and because it's so low on sea level, these storms come up and they're more like what, uh, what uh, ocean people would call a squall. Really torrential downpour of rain, really, really strong uh, hurricane-style winds. Really, uh, the sea just gets torn up. I mean, it just starts, just waves start rising up. It gets really, really rough. And so Jesus says, go on down and I'll meet you on the other side. And immediately they got in the boat. That's what the Bible says. Because Why? Because they're doing exactly what King Jesus says to do. They don't really understand Jesus as God yet. They understand he's amazing. They understand he's supernatural. They understand he's got God's hand on him. But they haven't really dug in or leaned into the reality that Jesus is truly God. Now, it says in Matthew 14, verse 23, what happens to Jesus? He sent his boys on. He says, I'm going to dismiss the crowds. What happened to him? Well, in verse 23 of, of chapter 14 of Matthew, we find out after Jesus had sent the crowds away, Jesus went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there all alone. So he sends his boys out. He goes up to the mountain to pray. Now, now he's, I want you to know something. Jesus, you remember last week when there was a test and he said, uh, uh, he said we're going to feed them. And, and it says it was a test because Jesus knew what he was going to do. That, that rocked my soul, that, that, that verse. I, I've read it many, many times, but it just changed me to know that Jesus always knows what he's going to do all right no and uh, so no matter where you are today no matter what you're in today jesus knows what he's going to do and right here is no difference he knows what he's going to do so he knows when he sent the guys into the boat to go across the sea he knows something's coming up and so listen when he knows something's coming up that's going to be a hard time in your life in my life in the life of the disciples here's what jesus does he goes to get alone with the father to pray now this is jesus He and the Father are one, and yet Jesus thought it significant uh, enough of an event that was coming that he would pray to the Father. We can learn something from this. We need to be praying before the storm ever enters our life. You see, what we do a lot of times is we wait till we're in the middle of the storm and we begin to pray for a path out. For a light at the end of the tunnel. You know you do that. We all do that. We need to be prayer warriors before we ever enter the storm. Now, I have a confession as your pastor, as your preacher. I'm a terrible prayer, okay? Praying requires extreme discipline and uh, diligence and uh, 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 patience and uh, uh, quietness, okay? None of those are me and so it's out of my nature and so god is regularly forming me into someone who prays i'm not saying i don't i pray a lot but i'm a terrible prayer there's people in here who are what i would call prayer warriors i mean you just delight in prayer man you just like to get alone with god you like to be patient you like to be quiet uh, you like to be disciplined and diligent <laughs> praise jesus for you okay it's not my world but we need to learn that if it's if it's good enough for jesus it ought to be good enough for us, amen. So we need to be praying. We don't just need to be praying. We need to be fasting with our prayer. We need to change. We need to separate things physically from our life to engage and grab onto things spiritual to replace it. We need to be praying. We need to be fasting. Why? Because Jesus is praying for you right now. Do you get that? Jesus, the one we pray through, is praying for you right now, even if you don't ask for it. If you are a child of God, adopted into the kingdom through Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus is praying for you. And listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. It says, "Therefore Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him." Since Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. You get that? intercession. He's interceding. He's lifting you up. He's praying for you. You remember the story of, of Job, when Job was uh, being attacked by the enemy, and, and, and Satan goes before God, and he says, yeah, you got that boy down there, Job. He is a good dude, but he just loves you because you've been good to him. He, he just loves you because you look at him. You've given him all the stuff, man. He's got riches, family. He's beautiful. He's amazing. If you start taking that stuff away, you'll find out that he really only loves you because of the stuff. You remember that? And so Jesus, uh, God allows Satan to have a rule and reign in his life and cause him a lot of, uh, a, a lot of sorrow and hurt, only to restore him fully. You see, Jesus is, is now interceding. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When, now when Satan goes before God to condemn you in Jesus, there is no condemnation He's got nothing on you. Satan can bring up all of your faults before God. And God says, yeah, but there's no condemnation because all of that is under the shed blood of Jesus. So he is always interceding on our behalf. So so I want you to to hear this. While Satan is accusing and attacking you, Jesus is interceding and intervening for you. Okay? He's always attacking you. Always. Always. He hates you. Satan hates you. Tell your neighbor he hates you. He hates you. Satan can't hurt God because Satan is a created being. So Satan's only only thing he can do is hurt the objects of God's affection. He can't hurt God, so he'll hurt the thing that God loves. That's just going to hate you. He accuses you. He's always attacking you, but Jesus... Is interceding and intervening. Now, Jesus knows everything that's going to happen. And so and remember when we looked over at the Matthew account, Jesus commanded them to get in the boat. And yet Jesus went to the mountain to pray. And Jesus chose to allow a storm in their life. Now that seems a little calloused, doesn't it? And in reality, it's caring. Because God is ultimately about your good, but he's more about his glory. God is about you being happy at the picnic, but he's more concerned about you being holy when the picnic is over, okay? And so he allows storms to craft you and to help you become who you're supposed to be. Listen to what it says in Psalm 107 verse 24, it says, for he commandeth, and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. Right? I, I was thinking about it this morning. You know, we listen to the forecast. Anybody in here check the forecast almost every day? Anybody have an app on your phone? You scroll to that thing first thing in the morning? See if you're supposed to wear a, you know, a toboggan or a pair of swimming shorts. I mean, it's like that, we're East Tennessee. There ain't no telling. Okay? I just want to let you know something. I'm, this is just my opinion. Doppler radar I think that's a fake I I think there is no such thing as Doppler radar I think they've made that up why do I think they made that up I'm 57 years old and when I was a kid they would make up stuff then they'd say it's snowing tomorrow ain't got no snow raining tomorrow no rain supposed to be sunny tomorrow clouds roll in they didn't have Doppler radar I'm 57 I can watch the news tonight tomorrow it'll say no clouds tomorrow tomorrow probably cloudy day No snow tomorrow, snow's coming down, okay? Doppler, somebody made that up, all right? Jesus controls it all. He doesn't need a Doppler radar. He did not go up on the mountain to check Doppler radar. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. Why? Because Jesus knows what's going to happen because Jesus controls it. You get that? So Jesus goes up there knowing he just sent the, the, the 12 real followers that he has, well, 11 and a half. Okay? He, he just sent them out in a boat into the sea, and he knows that a, ter- that a terrible storm is, getting, is brewing out there, getting ready to touch ground right on their boat. And so he went up to pray. He controls the storms, and, and, and he prays on our behalf. Now, I want you to know something about storms. Ha-ha- have you ever been in a storm? If you've had a storm in your life, maybe it was just a little rain shower, or maybe it was like a hurricane-force storm, but you've had a storm, and you know it was a storm in your life, raise your hand. Look around, see? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, you can put your hands up? If you didn't raise your hand down, we're all going to pause and pray for you because you've got one coming, all right, because we all have a storm, okay? Maybe we've come through a storm, maybe we're in a storm, or maybe we've got one headed our direction, but storms are real okay storms are real now the 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 amazing thing is that there's a reason for the storms jesus controls the storms jesus knows what he's doing jesus allows chooses to allow the storms in your life which seems callous but actually it's caring i want you to know there's two kinds of storms that can come into your life there's a storm that is a correcting storm for those people who are out of the will of god and then there's storms that are perfecting storms, which are for those people who are in the will of God. Have you ever had a storm come in your life and you really are side you, you It's like somebody ear holds you just bam, you know you didn't see it coming because you're checking your your Christian boxes you're like. You know, why do, this, it's one of those times when you ask that dumb question, why do bad things happen to good people, forgetting that there are no good people, none righteous, no, not one. But we ask that question anyway. Maybe what we mean is, why do bad things happen to gooder people than other people? Okay, you know, well, you know why, why does it happen to people who are trying really hard to live for Jesus? Right, so I'm going to church, Jesus. I'm in a life group, Jesus. I'm praying, Jesus. I'm reading your Bible, Jesus. I, I'm helping people and loving people, Jesus. I'm really trying to be a good Christian, Jesus, and yet I look and I see this storm, not at a distance, but up close and surrounding me, okay? Those are perfecting storms. Those are storms for people who are doing the will of God, and they still come. These disciples, man, have given up everything, they've given up occupation, family. Uh, 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 relationships and they're walking following Jesus and yet they're getting ready to hit in the middle of a storm because Jesus is perfecting them there's the other kind of storm which are correcting storms correcting storms are when we live outside of obedience to the will of God and God still loves us as children of God he disciplines he chastens those he loves the Bible says if you haven't been chastened by the father if you've never been disciplined by the Father, you can't even be considered a child of the Father. Okay, so you're really not a Christian. But when a Christian gives their life to Jesus and then takes part of it back and begins to continue to walk in disobedience, that's when the, the correcting storm comes. Anybody ever had a correcting storm? I got scars to show it, seriously. I've got surgeries on record to prove God is a God who loves me so much, he will correct me when I'm out of line, okay? I try to be a quick learner on those. Sometimes I have been, and sometimes maybe not. So God sometimes t- permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Johnny Erickson taught us, good. sometimes we look at a storm and we say, that storm doesn't really fit that person, Right? Sometimes somebody else's storm seems worse, and sometimes we only focus on our own storm because it seems like the worst storm because it's our storm. The story of Johnny Erickson Tata, most of us may have heard of her. She was a, a little girl, teenage girl in California, dove off a dock, hit the bottom of the lake, snapped her neck, was supposed to die, but she lived, and she didn't want to live, and she's a quadriplegic. She's been confined to a wheelchair now for over 50 years. God has used her because of that accident, because of that storm she's in, in incredible ways. She's served on presidential cabinets. She's traveled all over the world speaking the gospel. She paints amazing pictures with a paintbrush in her mouth. Incredible. But she's had this terrible 50-year storm confined to a wheelchair. Not only that, she's had cancer in her life. And you say, God, that storm doesn't seem right for this person. God's using that as a perfecting storm. Now listen. How does God handle that? God, Jesus knows what he's doing, even when we don't understand it, okay? In her life, there's no doubt in my mind that on the other side, in our forever kingdom called heaven, for those who are in Jesus, there's no doubt he's going to take care of that. He's going to make up for that 50-year wheelchair. He's going to make up for that cancer she had. And and he's going to make up for your storms. He makes it all right in the end. Now listen to me. There's some confusion in this world. And if you've got a television set, you don't have to thumb very long to find it. There are people who will tell you when you become a Christian, your life is going to get easy. You're going to have more money in your pocket. Your spouse is going to love you and be better. Your children are going to be obedient all the time. You'll never be sick. Okay? But they leave out one important detail. That is on, that's after we die. It's after we go to heaven. And it's true, all of that's true. But it's not in this life. It's not in this life. And you can name it and claim it and blab it and grab it till Jesus comes back and you will still have storms in your life because Jesus loves you, he knows what he's doing, and he uses these storms to perfect and correct you. Okay? Now, understanding why. Is, is really important. That's how we move forward. So I want you to understand that sometimes those storms are difficult and they last longer than we would hope. They just last a long time. What so why does Jesus delay? I mean, you're sitting there thinking, okay, I got this figured out. Jesus, I think I've learned everything I need to know. Okay. I've, I've learned everything from the storm. Let's move on through the storm. Let's get to the other side. Jesus still delays. Good example. You remember Lazarus? Okay, his friend, he's dying. They call for him. Jesus says, okay, thanks for the memo. Got the email. Be there shortly. He waits till Lazarus dies. He waits till he's stinky dead. Jesus shows up after the funeral is over, after he's been buried. Oh, well, move the, move the stone. Lazarus, come forth. Take off his grave clothes because he's he rose him from the dead. And you say, man, that would be cool to be Lazarus. But yeah. What we dread most, dying, he had to do twice. So it's really not that good of a deal, okay? But it was good in the moment, all right? Now, the good side of it is, no doubt, Lazarus had already seen what happens after death, and he wasn't worried about the second death. He was worried, whatever, I'm ready to go back. But since you all call me back, I'll live ever how long you want me to live, okay? Now, another time that where, where uh, God delays is in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the fall. And... God tells Satan, he says, listen, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. I could not say that in the early service to save my life. And it just came out. Okay. Yeah, he says, you're going to to bruise your heel, and he's going to crush your head. Okay, I didn't even say it right then. He's going to crush your head. That's all I'm trying to say. And now, how long did he wait until Jesus came to put a a crushing on Satan's head? 4,000 years That's when Jesus came. 4,000 years after he prophesied that he would come and crush his head, 4,000 years he waited. Sometimes he waits a long time and he allows a long storm. But here's what's good about it. I want you to notice something. When Jesus made them get in the boat, he also told them where to go. He had a destination for them. He said, I want you to go to the other side. I want you to know today, even if you're in a storm, If you just came out of a storm, if you're headed to a storm, Jesus knows what he's doing and he has a destination in mind for you. He's already scripted your eternal address in Jesus' name. He already has that place for you. He already knows where he's trying to take you if you're willing to allow him. In the text, he says, I want you to go the other side. In the moment, these disciples were rocking around in the boat, no doubt, scared to death, we'll read. And and no doubt, they're thinking, we're going to die right here. Not true. Jesus didn't say, go to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't say, go to the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He said, go to the other side. You see, Jesus knows what he's doing. He went up to pray, and he knew they were going to get to the other side. They were wondering in the storm that they were in, but Jesus always knows what it is he's going to do. Now, sometimes we wonder why things happen like they do, and they happen when they do. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, In the fullness of time... God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. Here's what that means. God has a timeline, and his timeline is not your timeline. Your timeline is found on his timeline, but he controls the whole timeline. Yeah, I said that right. You're walking in a timeline, okay, and God, it, 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 is, it is under God's timeline. And he watches your life, and he knows what he's doing, and he has a timing for everything. Uh, I've had storms in my life that I thought, man, this storm is going to last for the rest of my life. This is going to do me in. This is the end of all storms right here. But God knew on His timeline where His timeline would intersect my timeline and change my scenario and my situation. I've seen it in jobs. I've seen it in sickness. I've seen it in family matters we've seen it. God has a timeline and we have to learn to trust his timeline to get us to the other side. So Jesus chooses to allow the storms. Number two on the back of your worship guide, Jesus comes to us in the storms. Jesus comes to us in the storm. Listen what it says in John chapter 6. It says, by now a strong wind was blowing and the sea was getting rough. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they caught sight of Jesus walking on the lake, approaching the boat, and they were frightened. Other accounts say they thought he was a ghost. Why? (laughs) Because you just don't expect to see a friend walking across the lake. Okay? Now, they're in the middle of this storm that Jesus has designed for them, that Jesus has brought up for them, that Jesus has placed them in, that Jesus is praying them through uh, for. He, he, he knows it all, and now he comes to the storm. Let me tell you this. Listen, if you're in a storm, the, the last thing you want to be found doing is looking down into your storm. I rode motorcycles most of my life, and, and several years ago I bought a Harley, okay? And I rode a Harley until I felt like the whole world was trying to kill me. Then I sold the Harley. All right? But in the process of riding the Harley, I went to class, a safety riding class, to to be a better rider. And here's one thing they tell you. Wherever you look, that's where you're going on your bike. Because when you start to fall on a motorcycle, what you want to do is look and see where you're going to land. But they tell you don't look and see where you're going to land. Look and see where you want to be. Because then you land where you're looking and you know this is true if you don't ride a motorcycle. If you're driving and you're riding down there, you see something over here. Yeah, what is that? Next thing you know, you get back over here. That's those, I don't know how they do that, how they put those little diggity kicks in there, but they're there, okay? My grandson, <laughs> I hit him a lot. And now my grandson has been listening to my wife too much, and this is what he says. Be careful, papa. See what you've taught him? Okay. Now, not only that, but if you see somebody coming at you, you think, you know, hey, I think that's old Jimmy right there. Next thing you know, you're trying to run over Jimmy, okay? You land where you look. So listen, it's the same in a storm. When you're in a storm, don't be looking in your storm. Don't be looking down in your storm. It's a good time to kind of grab your chin and push up and go, I need to be looking out of this storm because I don't want to stay in this thing. But it, it's hard to do because when you're in the storm, you feel like it's, you feel like it's all there is. I mean, that's all there is. And meanwhile, Jesus is trying to come into your storm. Now listen. Jesus may not bring you closure to the storm immediately, but Jesus will bring himself into the middle of the storm with you immediately. But if you're not looking for him, he might just walk right on by your storm. Because you weren't looking for Jesus in the storm. Now, in this narrative, it says, not only is there a storm, but it's dark. It says in Mark that it's the fourth watch. So it's from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. In the Holy Land, in a hole. I guess a holy lake in the Holy Land. In the bowl, 700 feet below sea level. It gets really dark. And there's no city nearby that's lit up like today where you get light pollution drifting over into your world it's dark i shared about being in africa every day every, every night the lights go out we lost power every night i'd try it again do you ever adjust to total darkness there's no hand there it's like you it's like nothing okay it's that dark that's where they are it's a storm The boat, the Bible says in in Matthew, it says, and the storm was beating on the boat. This thing is rocking and rolling and they're rowing and getting nowhere. And it's pouring rain on them and it's pitch black. And and some of these are seasoned fishermen. They're afraid, man. They're scared. And Jesus in the darkness. Now it says the night is almost over in in another gospel. The night is almost over and Jesus shows up walking on the water. Now that's cool. And I want you to know Jesus will show up walking on your water. In the middle of your storm, if you'll look up, Jesus will come and join you in the darkness and in the storm. And so understanding that, that there's a reason for our test, is critical in our Christian walk because we will have a storm. The importance of these moments, the importance for the disciples in Jesus' eyes was that Jesus was developing their faith. G- See, the disciples loved Jesus. He was like a rock star. They, they thought he was like the coolest guy that ever walked on the planet. Everybody was enamored and just followed him. And just, you know, they're just like, man, look what he does, man. Have you, seen, have you heard what he said? Have you seen what he did? Oh, he's an amazing guy. and all these people are following, and the disciples are no different. But Jesus wants more from them, and he wants more from you than somebody who has a a head knowledge awareness and a head knowledge appreciation and a head knowledge uh, uh, um, uh, love for who Jesus is. He he wants you to sink your life into him. He wants you just to lean in, just to kind of go jelly-legged onto Jesus and let him make you who he wants you to be. And that's hard for us because we're self-sufficient. But I want you to know he wants to develop your faith because faith that has not been truly tested is faith that cannot be truly trusted. You get that? If it hadn't been tested, it can't be trusted. You see, when they were preparing to send uh, the Apollo spaceship to the moon, they didn't walk out there one day and say, uh, Hey, Neil Armstrong, (laughs) come here and check this out. You see that rocket? It's going to the moon. You, it's going to the moon. We drew it up on paper, had a fab shop down the street, put it together, put a whole lot of rocket fuel in the rear end of it. We would like to set you up in the front of it and shoot you to the moon. It didn't work that way. It's one step at a time, one test at a time, one failure at a time. Even, failure is okay. A failure is okay. Uh, but it's one test at a time to, to get it to a place where you can trust it, and it's no different with your faith. Now, as I said before, he may not move your storm today, but he will move himself into your storm today. Let me give you some biblical g- examples, because this is pretty cool when I was thinking about. It. A good example would be Jesus, excuse me, Joseph in the Egyptian prison. You, you remember that? He was sold into slavery. He's in a storm. He gets, uh, he gets to Egypt, and he, 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 he does good. And so he starts, uh, uh, he, he becomes overall of Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife kind of got the hots for him and ended up having him thrown in prison. And, and just when he's in another storm, he went from a picnic to a storm, and while he's in another storm, he wonders, Where's, how's this going to end up? Well, next thing you know, Jesus shows up and gives him the ability to interpret dreams, and he uses them all over again. And, and so he shows up in a storm. Moses in the wilderness, you remember Moses? Moses was, was given as, as a baby into Egypt, raised in A wonderful home, educated, learned multiple languages in in Egypt, only to be called out to lead the nation of Israel out of captivity. You'll remember now, he's been in 40 years of wilderness journey, preparing him to be a good shepherd. And now he goes to uh, deliver the nation of, of Israel. And you'll remember he delivers them. And one day he goes up on Mount Sinai and he has an encounter with Jesus. He's in a storm. Where are we going? You know, we're wandering around here, where is this promised land? And Jesus shows up in a burning bush. Jesus came in the middle of his storm. You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah is in a world where Israel is is just so saturated with ungodly reality, worshiping Baal gods, lowercase g, gods. And and so Elijah's on Mount Carmel, and he says, uh, go ahead and call your God down, call on Baal, and let him burn the sacrifice. Well, the, the, the Baal prophets, 450 strong. They're dancing around naked, cutting themselves. I mean, just doing ridiculousness. And, and God ain't answering. Their God is not answering. And if you read the account, Elijah so cool. He kind of taunts them a little bit. He says, man, y'all need to scream a little harder, dance a little faster. Because I think your God has gone to the bathroom. That's what he suggests. Because he ain't listening. Well, they do all of that. Nothing happens. So, so Elijah says, but now, if y'all are finished acting a fool, I'd like to have my shot at it with my God. And and he calls on God. He humbly prays. He he gets the altar ready. He puts it all back together, puts the stones around it. And he says, that's too easy. Let's wet it down. So he saturates it with water until water fills the little moat around the altar. And he simply says, God, do your thing, in essence. Bam! He shows up, consumes the whole thing. Fire licks up the water, consumes the stones, okay, In the middle of his storm against the enemy, God shows up. That's what he does. We just have to look for him and wait for him. You'll remember David. David's in a storm. Everybody thinks he's just a kid. He's useless and worthless. And he shows up to the battle line. His brothers are hiding in in the rocks. And he looks and sees this giant taunting their God. David says, that's wrong. Picks up some rocks. Attacks Goliath. Hits him in the forehead. Cuts his head off. And brings him back. Says, you were worried about this. God shows up in our storm, when we look for him and allow him to be God. You'll remember the story of Jonah. Jonah's called to, be, to go to Nineveh and preach uh, salvation. He don't want to do it, so he goes down to Joppa. The Bible says he went down, 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 down. He just kept deeper and deeper. Ultimately, they throw him overboard. He ends up down in the ocean, in the sea, in the belly of a great fish. But God wasn't finished with him yet. In the middle of his storm, the, the fish throws him up. He goes to Nineveh and preaches, and they all get saved. You remember uh, Job. Job lost everything You know, his wife cursed it, said, you know, you just need to curse God and die. There's a good woman for you right there. Okay? But in reality, she's a hurting woman. They lost their whole family. They lost all their possessions. Okay? He's in the middle of the storm. What does God do? He shows up and gives him everything he had, multiple, multiplied in return. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay, the Hebrew children who wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, cast them in the furnace. They fired up the furnace extra to to the point that the soldiers were consumed by the fire. They put them in the furnace, and then they go check on them. and, And it says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in there, but there was another man walking around. In the middle of their storm, Jesus showed up. You remember what they said? They said, listen, our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if... What an amazing truth. Even if he chooses not to deliver us from the fire, we are not going to bow down and worship you. Good, good truth. He shows up in their storm. Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. John on the Isle of Patmos. On and on and on. Jesus chooses to allow a storm so he can come and join us in the middle of the storm and to develop us as we walk through the storm. It's not always pleasant. It's not always fun. But in the end, God is really good about being really good. And you can trust him that he will work it all out in the end. Well, I I remember the, one of the worst storms I've ever been in. And, and I've shared this in here before, but it's, it's, it's a storm that I've got to share again because it changed my life. Um, we... Before I was in ministry full time, I was bi-vocational, and We would take customers fishing to Destin, and uh, we'd take them golfing and fishing on this three three day excursion. And there, it was a hurricane had been a hurricane season, and the waters were real bad. And so I was hoping we wouldn't go. Now I'd been deep sea fishing; I'd never been sick uh, seasick. And uh, we, I went to the captain and I said, "Hey, storms and everything." He hadn't fished in like two weeks. I said, storms and everything, the water's still rough, uh, are, are we still going? And he used some expletives and said, yeah, we're going. I said, okay, cool, you didn't have to do all that. You know? So I went back, told the guys, yeah, we're going in the morning, we're leaving at 6.30. I went by Walmart to get some Dramamine, no Dramamine at Walmart. Went to the pharmacy, no Dramamine, because it had been so bad. So I said, well, no big deal, I've, I've ridden all the roller coasters, I can handle it. So we went deep sea fishing. I, think we, I thought we were going to Cuba. We started out, went on and on and on. And it's because the water was so rough. I mean, it was like this. And one of the idiots that, I, that was a customer of mine, he said, hey, let's just let's play some cards, get our mind off this sea. That was dumb. So we're sitting at the table playing cards. And the boat's just going nuts. And the cards start moving around on the table. And all of a sudden, I knew I was green on the outside because I felt green on the inside. I said, hey, guys, got to let me up. I'm sick. Well, they started making fun of me. You know, that's what you do when somebody just paid for your trip. That's what you do. You make fun of them when they get sick. So I'm walking away, and they start saying, hey, hand me the Cheetos and the mayonnaise. I'm, I'm going to shoot you in the face, okay? So, so I made it to the side, and they had to hang onto these rails, and your feet would come up. And I said, and I was embarrassed, honestly, okay? So I just went down the hull of the boat. That was real smart. Went in the hull of the boat, curled up in the fetal position. I was throwing up, hoping I didn't mess on myself. All right, and I'm just telling you the truth: throwing up, sick, so sick. It was not seasick. I thought it was seasick. Seasick's not that bad. It was like I had an aneurysm getting ready to burst in my stomach, and it was so bad. It was so bad. If you've never been seasick, you've never been sick. It was so bad. I was praying. Now I'm a child of God, man. I'm I'm praying, and and I said, God, please send me a helicopter. Because that idiot up top will not take me home. And, and I'm dying. You, you know, you're God. You know I'm dying. I don't want to die. You ain't finished with me yet. I had to remind him. Started claiming the promises. I said, I need you. I need you every hour. Said, Whatever. Okay. Now, in the moment, I mean, I'm in a fetal position. I, a grown man in a fetal position in the bottom of a boat with throw up on me. And I started singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I didn't even know I knew it. But my whole life, we sang it like every other Sunday in a Baptist church, all the verses and the fourth verse probably twice. And I started singing, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I didn't even know I knew that, and it came out. okay. And in that moment, man, I'm curled up in the storm, okay, embarrassed and hurting and dying and praying for something else. And the air condition on the boat came on, and my face was in front of a vent. And Jesus came out of that vent and just blew right on top of me. And I wasn't sick anymore. It was gone, as gone as it's gone right now. And I'm laying, I'm still, I'm still in the fetal. And I'm like, Jesus, did you, just, did you just heal me right there? And he said, yeah. I said, you serious? Where, I don't even want a helicopter. And so I stretched out, and I was like, is this real? You know, even in a miracle, you're thinking, is this real? And I stood up, my hat hung on, and I got to the top, and I'm going out there. I'm just excited. I'm going to go out there and say, listen, guys, Jesus, just heal me. He's in the bottom of the boat. If you ain't saved, you need to go down there. He's waiting. Okay, I was ready. I was ready to testify. And, and on the way out of the boat, and if you've been sick like that, like a stomach virus or that sick, you, you're going to fast to death. You will never eat another bite of anything in your whole life, okay? That's how sick. You don't want to think about food. And I'm walking out, and I'm hanging on the bar, and Jesus said, get you a sandwich. I said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going outside. And he said, get a sandwich. I'm like, are you serious? So I went over, and I'm hanging on to the thing, and I made me a sandwich, a ham sandwich, all right? Stuck a Diet Coke in my pocket. I made it over the door, and I kicked open the door, and I said, hey. I said, uh, first mate, bait up my fishing rod. And they went. And he said, what happened to you? I said, Jesus just showed up and healed me in the bottom of this boat. Now, Jesus is my witness. He just, it was a, it, that's why I tell the story. I have to tell the story a lot because it was such a great story. I went out there, and I'm sitting on the side of the boat. And I'd throw it over, and they'd put two hooks separated about 10 feet. I'd throw it over, let it hit the bottom, and I'd reel it up a couple times. Bam! And I'd yeah, pull it up, and I'd throw it in the boat. Most often, there's fish on both sets of hooks. They'd be like trigger fish or snapper up here and amberjack on the bottom. And I'd say, I'd throw it in. I'd say, give me another one. I'd throw it off. And here's the beauty of the story. I caught about 270 pounds of fish or something. I, 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 it was unbelievable. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And you know what the best part of the story is? Those other goofballs that I took fishing, all of them sick as a dog. And I said, Jesus, you heal me. I'm catching fish, and they're all sick. You are amazing. And the whole time I'm saying, well, give me another rod. Y'all go get me some Cheetos and mayonnaise. Okay? Now, now, now here's, and, I, and I'm done. We're not going to finish this message. So I'm going to cut it off right there. Uh, here's, here, here's, here's the thing. Storms are real. You may have just come through one. You may be in one. You may have one on your way. They're real. Just know it. Just know it. They're real. You can't love Jesus enough for them to go away. You can't be committed enough as a Christian for them not to be a part of your life. They're part of your life. Jesus allows the storms. He allows the storms to correct and perfect us. Jesus knows what he's doing with every storm, even when they stink. Our job is to not focus on the storm but to lift our head up and look to the one who controls the storm. Look to the one who crafted the storm for your life because he's walking right through the middle of the storm to get to you. He's coming to you, and His hands are open. He's ready to grab your hands and walk with you to the other side of the place that He has called you to go because He has a destination and a destiny for you on the other side. But if you get lost in that storm or caught in that storm or you give up in that storm, you'll miss out on what He wants to do in the middle of the storm. And I just want you to know, a God that loves you enough to die for you, is a God that's big enough and good enough to walk with you through the storm. And you won't be disappointed. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I know in this very room this morning, there are those who are in a storm. I don't know what their storm looks like. I don't know all the details of it. But God, you do. Because you crafted that storm. And it may be a difficult storm. It may be a dark storm. It may be shaking And rocking and rolling their life. But Jesus, you're not surprised by it. You allowed it. And so God, I pray that you will help those people in here today who are in that storm, in that rocky water. I pray that you'll help them not get lost in the storm. Not just look down at the storm. But they'll raise their head up and look for you. Because Jesus, I truly believe you're walking in the storm with them. It may be they just haven't seen you yet. So Jesus, I pray you'll just walk right up close to them. So they'll know you're right there. And then Jesus, they'll just surrender their life in the middle of the storm. And they'll begin to walk with you to the other side. To the place that you've called them to. Just like you told the disciples, I'll meet you on the other side. Jesus wants to take us to the other side. So Father, I give those storms to you today. God, for those around us, maybe we're not in a storm. Maybe we're in the picnic. God, I pray that we'll celebrate in the picnic. That we'll give you glory in the picnic that we'll just uh, uh, enjoy and capture every moment of the picnic because there may just be a storm that comes into our world tomorrow. God, while we're in a picnic, we need to be looking around for those that are in the storm that we can come alongside them and love on them and encourage them and pray for them. God, in the end, you'll receive the glory and the praise. God, as a church, help us be people who look around and engage in other people's storms help them walk through those storms and and give them love and encouragement and hope god we know that's what you desire to do god we also know that there's some here today that have never received you into their life they've never received jesus and his life-giving grace into their life for those god i pray today that they would realize And be aware that your Holy Spirit is inviting them into your presence. That they'll feel a conviction of their sin and their separatedness before you. God, they'd be willing just to turn to you and say, Wow, I never saw this coming, but in this moment, I know that I'm a sinner separated from you, God. And I believe that Jesus is my way. I believe that Jesus has died on a cross and rose on the third day to offer me life. He paid my debt. And I never saw it coming, but God, right now, I believe that. And so I give my sinful self to you in exchange for your perfection. God, I want you, I want to to ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness and walk differently tomorrow than I ever have in my life. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come into my life and and seal me and mark me and fill me and help me live for you from this day forward, God. For the rest of us, help us just engage what it is you have for us in our walk, knowing that you know what you're going to do and that you have a place for us to to be. We pray it in Jesus' name.